minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
بنیم کشیم هم بیخد کولم و خنیم Welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Thank you all for tuning in and being part of this uh, amazing broadcast every single weekday morning between 6 and 9 a.m., wrapping up a week that... uh, Included our broadcast Monday from Yushalayim, our broadcast Tuesday from Ben Gurion Airport as we welcomed over 330 Olim to Eretz Israel, the amazing state of Israel. And here back in our Jersey City studios on this Friday, August the 15th, day 19 in the month of Menachem Av, the year is 57. Seven four. Lenny Solomon, Am Yisrael Anetzach, a song uh, from the the war of the summer of 2014, a summer we will not soon forget. 
Baruch Levine with Anam Zmiros, Ani Mamin from Yisrael Juskowitz. The Yeshiva boys had Yismachu, Yismach Moshe by Diaspora, and before that by Leviathan. Yismachu, done by Cantor Yitzchak Mayer Helfgott from Eternal Echoes. Getting closer and closer to Cantorial season. Month of Elul starts about 10 days from now. Hard to believe, I'll tell you. It is hard to believe that the summer is coming to an abrupt end and that we're heading into the high holiday season. Regesh, of course, Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. JM in the AM at 6.36, 24 minutes before 7 o'clock on this Friday. Malcolm Holmline an hour from now. We'll analyze the events of this week. We call it the weekly update. Malcolm Holmline will join us coming up at JM in the AM. Full day of great programming on our stream. We call it the Nahum Siegel Network. All day long at jmandtheam.org, including an amazing mix of Erev Shabbos selections as you're heading out, participating in, uh, I don't know, in um, in massive traffic jams on this Friday, or running errands on this Friday, or heading out to a Simcha on this Friday, or going up to the Catskill region on this Friday. Make sure you're tuned in on your smartphone to the NSN app, the Nahum Siegel Network app on your Android or iPhone, and you can hear the entire music mix all the way until candle lighting time. It is a great way to prepare for Shabbos every Shabbos, and we highly recommend it. Uh, it's a really cool method to start your Shabbos, trust me. 61 degrees, 67% humidity, winds are west at 3 miles per hour. Uh, what do we got? We've got uh, mostly sunny weather today, Baruch Hashem. High temperature of 77 and partly cloudy for tonight, a low of 61. Uh, tomorrow we go to uh, sunshine, high temperature of 82 degrees. Yushalayim right now at 90.1, as is Haifa, Tel Aviv at 88, a lot at 102. Up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Misora, Um they've got a cold one up there. I guess the summer camps, especially in that area, have been uh, have been pretty cold the last couple of days. 55 degrees, heading up to 67 later on. Who won Color War last night in Camp Missoura? I don't know. wonder if it's on the website yet. If not, I'm sure there will be some good photos before Shabbos. I know one team was the white team. I forgot to ask what the other team was. <laughs> I, I called. I got my information. Found out that the two seagulls are on opposing teams, which is always, you know, a parental concern. <laughs> and uh, then I was told that uh, that the younger seagull was on the white team, but I forgot to uh, to ask the color of the other team. So anyway, <laughs> we'll try to get the color war results at some point. Find out who won. That should be the only war that anybody's involved with this summer. Simple as that. Uh, 22 minutes before the hour, JM in the AM. We continue at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world in the web, JM in the AM dot org. Somebody in our audience heard the words of Rabbi Goodman in regard to what the Mashkiach Rabbatisel Solomon said in regard to Hask and its campers and was moved to the point where moments later, that person sitting in our audience made an anonymous pledge toward a brand new bunk at Camp Hass for $300,000. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been informed that Avram Fried and Eighth Day and Benny Friedman 
and uh, some other group who I'm about to introduce are now going to perform a song called Ifdu. You know that song? Welcome all of them with the Diaspora Yeshiva Band!
Yeah. 
Yes, you're right. 
Jam in the AM, Aaron Razel with Yom Shabbason. Uh, words from our Shabbos Miros. Before that, you heard Aryeh Kunstler and Yizkarim. Uncle Maishi, We Are a Nation from Volume 17. Yankee Daska with Kachenu off of the Achenu CD. Diaspora with that amazing surprise from the uh, Time for Music 27. This past January's Hass concert, Ivduas Hashem Basimcha. Jam in the AM Friday, uh, Erev Shabbos as we, um, uh, as we'll do our news from Israel in just a moment, it's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Akev with candle lighting at 7.33. A week ago, we were in uh, Stay Road doing this radio show. In fact, um, if you missed any of it, head to the archives section at jmam.org. WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County 91.9 in the FM Dial. News from Israel next at jmam. <laughs> השר נפתלי בנט קורא לנטישת השיחות בקהיר ואומר הסדרה עם הפלסטינים בעייתית לישראל. כתבתנו אליל שחר. ישראל צריכה לפתוח חד צדדית את המעברים ולנטוש את השיחות להסדרה בקהיר, כך אמר השר נפתלי בנט בישיבת הקבינט הבוקר. לדבריו הסדרה תצמצם את חופש הפעולה של צהל נגד מנהרות חדשות או מחרטות ליצור הקטות. בנוסף התחייבת ישראל להסכם כתוב מול ארגון טרור. לכן מציע בנט להודיע פומבית שישראל פותחת במבצע לשיקום הרצועה ושתאפשר העברת ציוד ותרופות ללא הגבלה כבר עכשיו. מנגד, בג'יהאד האסלאמי מביעים אופטימיות לקראת רגיעה ממושכת בעזה. סגן מזכ"ל הארגון אומר, המלחמה מאחורינו. כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. יש סיכוי מעודד להגיע להסכם קבוע בשיחות קהיר, כך מעריך זיאד הנחלה בריאיון לעיתון על חייט. אין לנו ברירה, הוא אומר ומוסיף. אנו רוצים לצאת מהמצב הזה כדי לתת לעם חיים חדשים. העדיפות היא לשיקום הפצעים וההרס, לכן אני חושב שאנו פוסעים לקראת הסכם. האתלטית הישראלית מעיין שחף עלתה לגמר אליפות אירופה בקפיצה לגובה. כתבנו שמואל מוניץ. שחף נטרה בהצלחה לגובה 185 סנטימטרים והבטיחה את מקומה בין 15 הקופצות המצטיינות באליפות אירופה לאתלטיקה המתקיימת בציריך. גמר הקפיצה לגובה לנשים התקיים ביום ראשון. האוניברסיטה העברית בירושלים היא האוניברסיטה הטובה ביותר בישראל, כך קובע מדד שנגחאי. כתבתנו תמר פלד. לאחר שבשנה שעברה דורגה במקום ה-59, האוניברסיטה העברית נותרה המובילה מבין האוניברסיטאות הישראליות כשירדה למקום ה-70. בין האוניברסיטאות הישראליות, הטכניון במקום השני ומכון ויצמן במקום השלישי. בחשש להתפשטות נגיף האבולה נאסר על ספורטאים ממערב אפריקה להשתתף במשחקי אולימפיאדת הנוער. כתבנו עופרי אשל. הוועד האולימפי וארגון הבריאות הבינלאומי החליטו במשותף כי שלושה ספורטאים לא יורשו להשתתף במשחקים. בנוסף, כל הספורטאים מהמדינות מוכות האבולה יחויבו לעבור בדיקות רפואיות. מחר ייפתחו בהרכב חסר המשחקים האולימפיים לנוער בננג'ין שבסין. התחזית לסוף השבוע, מחר צפויה ירידה קלה נוספת בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורכת חן פישר, בצוות שירה הראל ואופז קנטור.
Thank you for the journey that we're journeying. For all the lessons we are learning. Thank you for the good times and the bad times. So to you I raise this cup of mine. Thank you is the selection from Eighth Day here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Before that, Yehuda Green with Ibanet. 
news from Israel before that, and I thank everybody for tuning in. And I was saying before we did the break at the top of the hour uh, that the last Friday at this time we were traveling back from Stay Road as the radio show was um, being presented. We had just come away from the uh, Ethiopian synagogue in Stay Road, the Achnasah Sefer Torah, which was so amazing. I want to thank everybody in our audience who really felt a part of it, had some great comments and some wonderful insights into the uh, great celebration we had in Stay Road last Friday. If you missed any of it, there's an archive section at jmtheam.org. We invite you to check it out. It was really a lot of fun, great high spirit, and just a uh, a wonderful time had by all. And as Simon just reminded me a few minutes ago, after that we uh, stopped in the Tivot, the um, Tzion of the Babasali, had a very interesting experience there as well on the way back to Yerushalayim. So it was quite a Friday last week, and I'm glad you were part of it right here at JM in the AM. Mostly sunny with a high temperature of 77. Tonight, partly cloudy. 61 degrees is the low. And... Um, Tomorrow, sunshine with a high temperature of 82 degrees. Right now, we're at 61 in Jersey City. Say good morning at JM and the AM. Reminder, this coming Monday, Mayor Weingarten is going to be sitting in. I'll be off on Monday. Mayor Weingarten will be behind the microphone. Uh, make sure to be tuned in. He'll have uh, great material, as always. And I'm sure that uh, he'll update everybody on the latest from Israel. As we wonder how long this ceasefire is going to last. We shall see. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. The weekly update is something we do on most Fridays, and today's, uh, today is one of those Fridays. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us coming up at JM in the AM. Weekly update about 7.40 this morning. We'll explore the events of this week and uh, see what Malcolm has to say regarding what's going on in the Holy Land. That's all coming up at 7.40 this morning. Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15. And I thank Rabbi Yudin for including our Hachnasah Sefer Torah celebration in his words last Friday. Don't forget an amazing weekend of programming on our stream at jmnam.org, including the incredible Erev Shabbos music mix, which is going to go on all day long. So make sure you have your smartphone with you and that it's tuned to the NSN app, the NSN, Nahum Single Network app. Make sure you're tuned into that all through the day. And then Matis on Sunday will present JM Sunday every week. Great guests, news from Israel. It is a wonderful way to start your week even earlier than you're used to starting your week. JM Sunday, 7 a.m. Eastern Time on our stream at jmtheam.org. Make sure to be tuned in. Here's Eitan Katz. Yes, I may 
In the AM, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candle lighting at 7.33, 7.33, your candle lighting time on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Akev. Malcolm Honeline, about 15 minutes from now, will explore the events of this week through the weekly update. Make sure to be tuned in. We'll get his analysis on a whole bunch of topics, as you can imagine. It's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken, so there's a lot to talk about. That'll be coming up 7.40 this morning. You can hear it all on your radio, or try out the NSN app. comes through lo- loudly and clearly on your Android or your iPhone. You can try the NSN, Nachum Single Network app. You will get it as uh, as clear as a bell, simple as that, and be able to tune in and hear everything that Malcolm has to say about what's happening this week uh, in Israel and the Jewish world. A lot to talk about, that's for sure. 61 degrees, mostly sunny, a high of 77. Big, big hello to our friends up at Camp Masora. They and a whole bunch of other summer camps are getting ready for the final Shabbos of the summer up in camp. Before all the uh, tearful goodbyes, before everybody starts to uh, head into the 5775 school year. This coming weekend, the... uh, a lot of the amazing, I don't know if all, but a lot of the amazing NCSY summer programs are coming back from Israel. I had the pleasure of visiting two of them, NCSY, Kolel, and Michlelet, this past week. And they are doing quite a job, certainly following along with the incredible reputation that both of them have, and obviously 
NCSY summer programs goes way beyond that. There are so many others aside from those two. Uh, this weekend, both the, um, or right, right after the weekend, technically, because one is early Monday morning. Uh, but this weekend, I'll say, uh, both the NCSY Colel program and the Michalela Colel program get back to the U.S., which means they are spending their last Shabbat in Israel together. So a special thank you to everybody at uh, the OU and NCSY. I know that um, thousands of parents share the same sentiment as I do. Uh, thank you for providing an amazing summer for um, for so many kids and for really helping a lot of kids and their families during this uh, challenging summer connect to the Holy Land. It was um, if that was the goal, then it was a goal that uh, was met with great accomplishment. That's for sure. So a big thank you, and we look forward to greeting the campers, the program participants, when they get back in the next few days. JM in the AM, 729 on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Don't forget that the um, weekend programming that we have on our stream at jmnam.org is pretty amazing. It includes Matis this coming Sunday morning. He does a show we call JM Sunday. It starts at 7 a.m. Make sure to tune in. It is a... Uh, it is really a, it's a wonderful show, but aside from being a wonderful show, it's a great source of information because Matis does provide an English language newscast from Israel and usually at least one other very interesting guest as part of JM Sunday. So make sure to be tuned in 7 until 9 Eastern Time every Sunday morning here at jmtheam.org. Very 
חיים זה לא שיעור חשבון, זה גם מבחן. עכשיו, עלה קטן, הכל רגוע, אך מרחוק אולי ענן מגיע.
the AM, Ari Goldwag. Menucha Vesimcha, the, uh, the selection here at JM and the AM. Before that, Avram Avram Freed with Ale Katan. His concert last Sunday night, this past Sunday night, in Yerushalayim was a big topic of conversation last weekend. People wondered if it would actually take place, if the security personnel would allow it to take place outdoors with thousands of people. And then when it was held, turned out to be one of the most amazing unifying events ever. A, a night that a lot of people in Israel needed. That's how it was put to me by some of the participants, some of the audience members. Everyone needed a night out to just uh, decompress a bit. Friday morning, JM in the AM on this August the 15th, the 19th day in the month of Menachem Av. It's uh, Erev Shabbos Parsha's Akev with candle lighting time at 7.33 on this Erev Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, it's good to have you back and uh, to be with you. I appreciate that very much. There is a report, the Wall Street Journal had it, that there were key, uh, that there was key weaponry, rockets that Israel needed during this war with uh, Hamas and that uh, the United States would not give it to Israel. What could you tell us about this report? Well, there is the report in the Wall Street Journal, as you noted. It, 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 there were no weapons that were withheld. There is a process that has been implemented that adds a layer of bureaucracy. So I would say delay rather than denied. Uh, but so far, and, and during the war, I don't believe that any weapons uh, were delayed. This is a process that was put in place more recently. Uh, Israel and it operates on several levels. One is the prepositioned material. There's a billion dollars worth of weapons that are prepositioned in Israel. Uh, there's also preposition in Korea uh, for use of U.S. troops, but also for our allies. Uh, if in a time of uh, emergency they can uh, draw down and then have to replace uh, those weapons. So Israel, working through the regular channels, uh, did draw down some material for um, uh, tank shells, for instance, and other things that they needed during the war. Uh, why they needed it uh, and didn't have enough is another story. I'm sure that will be uh, checked. But here, th- there are two aspects then to the story. One is the tone, the characterizations that they reported of the prime minister, which is certainly inappropriate. Um, he was a prime minister that demonstrated incredible restraint in the execution and prosecution of the war as well as before. If you remember, 300 missiles fell before Israel responded. And the the um, uh, demonstrations that took place last night, the 15,000 people in Rabin Square demanding more actions against rockets and supporting the people of the South, uh, and, the general, and the polls that show general support for completing this action to remove the threat of rockets and of tunnels, uh, the, uh, reflects the fact that the Prime Minister has, has demonstrated restraint. This is an issue I think that members of Congress, when they return, will will be looking at, although they don't have many days there. Uh, the, the, the context also is uh, interesting in that the same days we, we approved 5,000 new Hellfire missiles to, to Iraq. All of the issue is about the Hellfire missile. And when the United States and others keep yelling at Israel to be to use more uh, pinpoint strikes, etc. Hellfire is, in fact, a pinpoint instrument in that it can be targeted to, to very narrow uh, destinations. 
So it's ob- obviously of concern. We've been in touch with the administration. They made a statement uh, in yesterday afternoon at the State Department because there are no White House briefings as the president is away on vacation. What what so, I- what issue is Congress going to? What part of this is Congress going to take up when they get back? Well, I think they're going to look at the at the question of whether any weapons. Uh, is this process delaying the shipment of weapons? They made very clear yesterday in this State Department statement that nothing has been withheld from Israel. And, in fact, in Israel they seem to be downplaying uh, this report. So whether it's just part of the political culture and uh, that we've seen develop over the months, whether there is any uh, practical implication is not very clear yet. There are times in the history of the state of Israel where they were really desperate for weaponry and the United States came through, and other times when the U.S. didn't. You're not ready at this point to put this episode anywhere on that scale yet, right? Uh, no, and because the Israelis uh, have not, in, in the statements that uh, have been forthcoming or indications that they have made, but what is troubling is, is uh, the the message that this sends to Hamas. If, in fact, Hamas is reading the Wall Street Journal, which I assume they get, the, at least through the Internet, these stories, then for them this is a victory. This is something they can point to and say, look, we, 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 we've achieved something in that they now do not get open transfer. And what is the message to our allies? The whole region is today supporting Israel except for Qatar and Turkey. And then they again see that, that America taking actions which are hard to to explain and the fact that this administration has always made the point that the military intelligence security cooperation is a hallmark of of their Middle East uh, policy vis-a-vis Israel and again we don't know that there's been a fundamental change they say that in many situations in conflict situations they have a special review Uh, there's no evidence that the reports that Israel bypassed the, the normal channels. They went to the minutes to the uh, secretary uh, to the defense uh, ministry, and they they worked out all the deals according to U.S. law. So there's no charge about Israel violating it. And um, we'll see now how it will play out. While we're on the subject of weapons and, uh, and the Israeli defense system, so the. Um the Rafael Corporation says they're very close to uh, weaponry that'll be able to uh, knock out mortar shells. They'll be able to detect tunnels. We know how important these are, just based on what's happened this summer. How close are they to implementing this technology in Israel? Well, so far, as you know, before the war, they said the only technology for dealing with these tunnels was building a moat, which right. I guess is not a modern technology, having been used in the Middle Ages. But the the new technology that's supposedly under development, which regrettably should have been developed before, um, they say is uh, perhaps months, a year away from actual implementation. The it, It's hard because you have to get in production, you have to test them, you have to, it has to go through a whole process. Uh, uh, there were innovations uh, that were used this time, uh, for instance, the trophy system, which protects uh, APCs and tanks. Uh, when a mortar is fi- fired at it, especially the anti-tank mortars, it deflected in many cases. Unfortunately, not every vehicle was equipped with it, so now they're equipping more and more of the tanks with it. There was also an unmanned uh, uh, carrier, which could carry up to, I think, four tons of supplies and equipment unmanned. There's a vehicle inside Israel where you have a control vehicle, 
directing this uh, ABC, and it, it can go up to 50 kilometers an hour, and was bringing stuff to the troops without any driver and not endangering anybody. Unbelievable. I didn't even know about that Never one. used before. First time, <sighs> just revealed. Unbelievable. Israeli-made, I assume. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, I had, last Thursday, I was in Kfar Aza and saw some of the machinery that actually destroys the tunnels. You know, they send it to this. It's it just the sophistication level is unbelievable. But much of that was developed during the war. You know, the machine to blow smoke into the tunnels. Remember how long these tunnels are, right. how dangerous they are, that and, and uh, how difficult because you can't send troops in because they're booby-trapped and soldiers die because of it. So... They have this huge machine that blows smoke through the tunnel, and it comes out in the entrances. That's how they could then detect where the entrances were. Unbelievable. The whole thing is incredible. Uh, and when you think about it, thousands of rockets. I don't know the exact number since the beginning of the war, but we know it's thousands. And you know what kind of, God forbid, what kind of casualties there could have been if not for Iron Dome, and if not for the sophisticated machinery that you just described? There were, there were about 3,700 rockets fired by Hamas. About a like number destroyed by Israel in in Gaza, which means they still have a similar number, about one third right. remaining. Unbelievable! But it, they but they showed a video now of how they continue to produce these M seventy five rockets, which can hit the, let's say Tel Aviv, um, and they, they uh, this is part of the underground establishment in Gaza, as you know that there is a whole underground city with huge facilities, rooms, roads that go network throughout the area, and some of them tied to the tunnels that went into Israel, but uh, this is a whole separate thing which Israel didn't take out, um, and the, the uh, they showed that inside there, how they have these production facilities and launching facilities where a hatch opens up, fires, and closes, and they put the next rocket in. Unbelievable. I know it's difficult to analyze this, but why do some of these ceasefires last, others do not? It looks like this one is going beyond the 72 hours and likely will last at least through the weekend. And already we've seen how Hamas is ready to let the PA negotiate on their behalf, you know, in certain ways. Why do some of these ceasefires last? And others, of course, we saw, you know, completely evaporate after hours. Well, first of all, it's a matter of control over different groups. You don't have just Hamas, you have ISIS, you have Islamic Jihad particularly, which has been equipped by Iran, uh, and um, they will sometimes fire and uh, in order to, to upset the ceasefire, in order to stimulate a response. That's one. Two, depends on what, they are, uh, what their goal is. I don't believe that this is the end of what... Of, of the conflict yet, as you know, they say yesterday, today is day 40 of the war. Right. Uh, Israel does not describe it as over. The negotiations are, in fact, just an extension uh, of war, as we know from the old saying. So the the um, the determination about whether this will continue way will be dependent upon how much pressure is brought on Hamas internally and externally. And it's not that they are necessarily responsive as a democracy to public opinion, but they know how upset. And there were even manifestations during the war, under the cover of the war, they killed the participants in this. Scores of people were killed as, quote, collaborators. All these numbers now start to come out, and we see the reality that the number of people killed may have been 1,500 or less. Of that, Israel has identified 900 of them as terrorists. 
So all of the talk about disproportionality, that even the Secretary General of the UN, with whom we met yesterday, um, uh, that these uh, terms are laden with with uh, legal implications as war crimes, etc. Proportionality has nothing to do with what they say. Proportionality only means how much force you use on a particular target. Mm. Meaning, do you use excessive force? Do you use an atomic weapon to take out a tunnel, or do you have to resort to other means? Proportionality is not between the number of civilians and the number of military that are killed. And this constant reference, you know, 63 soldiers, 64 soldiers, right. and 1,900 uh, civilians. These right. are numbers Hamas well, put out. They're distorted. When Anybody who died was included in this, and especially Hamas gave orders that they were never allowed to say that they weren't civilians. Right. Well, well, they I, told the people this. They told the reporters it. I still uh, hope the U.N. Human Rights Commission is familiar with these guidelines. I hope. They don't care. I, exactly. The very fact that they can appoint a commission of inquiry that is headed by somebody who has a long history of anti-Israel tirades, uh, calling for Paris, let alone Bibi, to be brought as war criminals, and and uh, redoing exactly what they did the first time with Goldstone. And Goldstone has criticized the guy Shabbos, who, uh, or Shabbos, whatever, uh, different pronunciations of his name. He's not Jewish. It's not a Shabbos Shabbos. Right. Um, that uh, ha- Goldstone criticized him as uh, as un- as biased and unfair in-, in the past, as have many others. So the-, the Human Rights Commission doesn't appear to have much interest in anything factual when it comes to Israel. Uh, we haven't seen them yet go after the Assad government or or Iraqis or or ISIS or anybody else. Just of course, only Israel. Yeah. Understood. We, we demanded that there be changes, and uh, I hope that members of the Senate are going to look at U.S. funding and continued U.S. membership in this body, where uh, you know seven resolutions, all of them dealing with Israel, are passed, and nobody else, and also with UNRWA and the, and investigating what and the UN has to investigate how the, this uh, agency was aborted that twelve thousand employees, mostly from Hamas, and how Hamas really controlled it. They could put their rockets in various school buildings and other facilities, and yet you don't have anybody saying, well, what's the explanation demanding it? And that UNRWA spokespeople who were on TV and, and in the media were all critics, and now, and, and, and didn't just report about humanitarian issues, but actually were persecutorial towards Israel. But you just... Now, the Foreign Press Association and all the reporters coming out are telling a different story in India and the um, uh, Australians and others who, who had first-hand accounts, including films, showing them firing from civilian areas. One who was in the Shanti camp with the nine children that the whole world dumped on Israel, and he said, I saw it. It was a Hamas missile that misfired and ended there. 460 missiles fired by Hamas ended up in Gaza itself, killing people, causing injury. How many How many reporters are in this group that have started to expose uh, Hamas? 32 countries. I mean, it's hundreds of members. They're that many. It's not Israeli body. No, I understand, just, but they're that many who've risked their credentials and risked their lives and risked the opportunity to get back in to Gaza to report. It's that many. Well, not the individuals. The association made the statement. Uh, A few individuals came out right. and see. told the truth about what they saw. But where did you see the reports <laughs> that 14 percent of the rockets, meaning I think 475 altogether? Uh, were were uh, landed and killed and, and endangered the uh, people living in Gaza, or that uh, almost 600 rockets were launched from civilian facilities, naming them, 260 from schools and 100 almost 200 from mosques and religious sites, etc. Right. 
none of this even till today. Yeah, of course has not. Been properly reported. Malcolm Holmline with us weekly update. Yeah, I mean the, the but you mentioned the meeting that you had this week with the UN Secretary General, and to us outsiders, it always seems that you have a pretty good relationship with him. Did he? Does he get any of this? Does he understand the the uh, inclination of these commissions to come out against Israel? Does he understand how absurd this war crime allegation is? Um, look, I, and again, I don't think he, he's the bad guy here. He's, you know, people like that are dependent upon the people around him, the information that he's fed. And after giving him the numbers, sort of in his response to us, he reiterated the original charges, the numbers that were killed, the, right. the question of proportionality, even though we told him that, that that is not what proportionality is about, or distinction, which is the, between civil casualties and military casualties. Again, these are legal terms with the heavily laden. Um, but he took very heavy notes, and he said, I'm going to review everything you said, and we're preparing an extensive report to him on all the issues that we raised. Uh, uh, and he was responsive to it, I would say. Mm. Uh, but, you know, you have an infrastructure at the U.N. that is completely biased and, and has a long history of, of manifesting that bias. you got to bring a big team of attorneys to these meetings, huh, basically? Well, uh, frankly, we are assembling yeah. attorneys and the Lawfare Project uh, is, has now 400 lawyers, volunteer lawyers, and we have, um, you know, graduate students, law, legal, law school students, and others working exactly on that, that we're preparing uh, legal documents. And, and there's uh, a very important case, and uh, I don't know if you even saw it, but about the Arab Bank case in Brooklyn that opened this week in no. the federal court in Brooklyn. Tell us. This is of monumental consequence in the sense that information is coming out. The Arab Bank is charged with having financed in 2002 um, the, the, uh, and thereafter money to various Hamas operatives. And their names are coming out, bank accounts, how they tied to, to Hamas, and a thing called the Saudi Committee has been revealed, which uh, was uh, transferring payments, uh, and we will learn much more of the details. I don't want to go into all of it right now, but because it, it, it just started and we're, we're only beginning to learn. Um, but they had a martyr's account in the Saudi committee, and they don't deny it. And they say, well, a martyr doesn't mean that they were a terrorist. It just means that they were dead, which is obviously not the case because suicide bombers are martyrs uh, for them. And uh, the, the bank, which is headquartered in Jordan, um, is being sued by by uh, people who were hurt or killed in the families of people hurt and killed in, in 24 terrorist attacks against Israelis and others, and show that the Arab banks uh, facilitated the transfer of funds. And now they, they admit that in some cases, you know, they, were, they, they generally had oversight, but in some cases they slipped up. So this is and this is happening in Brooklyn. Very little coverage, and it's really significant. Wow, the list of plaintiffs is extensive. I see it includes a lot of New Yorkers and New Jerseyans as well. Exactly right. Unbelievable. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. I want to thank our friends at jewishworldreview.com. They have thousands of articles about what's going on in this amazing world of ours. You may want to check it out before Shabbos especially, since so many people print so many of those articles before Shabbos. Nachum Siegel, Malcolm Honeline, weekly update here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos as we continue. Someone asked me about, we were talking on the plane the way back, obviously, about you know impressions of Israel, etc., etc. One of the things I, I, uh, I found funny or ironic is now 
the the closeness with which Israel and Egypt are dealing with each other. I mean, essentially, Egypt is the broker of whatever ceasefire is going to be um, uh, is going to be reached at this point. And going forward, it looks like there's going to be I don't know what would you call it mild to serious cooperation in regard to Gaza between Egypt and Israel. Uh, that's true, and I think it, you know when we look at the miracles of this past year, uh, the fact that CC is there and not Morsi. Right. I mean, just think if Morsi, the head of the Muslim Brotherhood, had been in charge during this period, so true. how different the situation would have been. And the uh, fact that the Saudis and there was a, a statement read at the top of the news last week uh, by from the Saudi king in which he said there was a massacre in Gaza by Hamas, not Israel. And the, an, a major article that appeared in the Saudi press that said that it's no longer an average Israeli conflict. When you have the, the Gulf states, the UAE, the Saudi Arabia, Jordan, um, Egypt, all the PA siding with Israel, uh, it, it says something. And the, the Egyptian role here has been critical. They've kept out Qatar and Turkey despite efforts to bring them in because of their support and relationship with uh, Hamas. The... Um, that is a very critical change, and what they did in destroying tunnels and hopefully in restricting an ability to bring in more weapons via those tunnels, which, you know, were flooded, uh, by, that's the tunnels to Egypt, right. uh, f- uh, during the period of, uh, of President Morsi. So if the crossings issue is a big issue going forward, and of course Hamas seems to want to make it a very big issue, uh, is is Egypt on the same page as Israel is when it comes to the level to which those crossings should be open? Uh, yes, and in fact, they may be even tougher. Look, it's a lie that there's a siege. There never was a siege. When Israel withdrew from Gaza, the, those crossings were essentially open. It was right. only after the experience that they were being abused that they put in restrictions, and the restrictions are only on dual-use items, items that can be used for military purposes. One of those items may well be cement, because we know how they abused the cement, 500 tons in an individual tunnel. They could have been used. Somebody did an analysis, and it showed how many facilities could have been built, how many hospitals, how many schools uh, would have been, could have been built with the cement just used in, the, in, in these tunnels. So Israel is saying no more cement unless we have assurance exactly what, how its end use will be, what the end use will be. But every day, the, uh, uh, material is going in, 100 trucks, 200 trucks of goods to, to Gaza. 60,000 people came from Gaza between January and May of this year for the conflict. 60,000 crossing Israel, mostly medical treatment, other reasons. You don't read any of that. So there is no siege. The, the Egyptian side is a greater siege. Also, they have to watch the importation by sea, which both countries have to cooperate to, to keep an eye on. So I think... Egypt's uh, interest in, in maintaining that is is as great or, or uh, great or, or as great, I should say, uh, as Israel's. So, to a degree, we have a pretty good. I got to be careful. I say this: a pretty good negotiator. Would that be the way to put it? In terms of uh, this uh, ceasefire negotiation, well, he's an arbitrator in this case, right? Uh, supposedly going back and forth between the two sides, and look, they're under pressure too internally and. Egypt, as you know, Israel's not that popular, but the new regime has has really made uh, a, a difference. And and they know that these tunnels, you know, which are so 
much more sophisticated than people realize and that people say to me, so why don't they just go in and bomb them? Because it's not so simple. These are very intense structures. They have rooms, they have roads, they can go around in these little motorcycles inside them. Right. And look at the pictures of them. Uh, Governor Cuomo was there this week. Other people you see, just look at the surroundings of what, what is in there, and you begin to get an idea of, of how dangerous these things uh, r- really uh, are. And, and um, Hamas, which Everybody says they need a victory. They have to show that they got something that they can, in order to, to be able to back out of this, um, and to show the people of Gaza that there was some reason for all of this uh, prize. The prize, the victory will be when all the billions of dollars start pouring back in and people, mm-hmm. countries, Europeans and others, don't put restrictions uh, on how the money uh, will be used and what, what will be done there. Um, the, go know, ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought, please. No, I, I and, and the the... Uh, the long, we have to look at this both in the immediate and, and in the longer term. And Israel has to see to it that, that procedures are put in place, that you're not back at the same situation six months and a year from now. Yeah, that might be unrealistic, but I'm sure you're thinking that as you say it anyway. Of course. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Governor Cuomo, and I'm going to give a special shout-out to Speaker Silver, because I'm sure he had a big influence on this trip as well. And, I, and usually I would save this for later in the conversation, Malcolm, because you mentioned that we're still at day 40 of the war and the conditions are the way they are. We understand how, you know, difficult things are. But I, we, we the, the, look, I was there in the middle of the war and I was there this week. There's a big difference. A lot more calm, a lot less tension, plenty more movement, people coming out, enjoying events, et cetera, et cetera. Desperately, desperately, anybody in the industry, in the uh, tourism industry is looking for North American Jews not to abandon them. And I, and I said on the air from Israel, I've always picked up the resentment that people in Israel have when North American Jews abandon them. But this time it was anger because we're sitting in the second half of August. You know more than anybody how important this month is for the tourism industry there. People live the entire year off of what they make in August, you know, depending on who they are, cab drivers, guides, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I hope that everybody who has trips planned continues to go. It, it, it is not the way it was a few weeks ago. Things are... Uh, is certainly a lot, you know, feel a lot more easier, not just are easier, but feel easier and feel less tense. And, um, you know, hopefully, and on top of that, hopefully the ceasefire will last and that, you know, there'll be a, a measure of peace in the region. But it's so important that everybody continue to uh, put these trips on their calendar and uh, support Israel at this time. I've just heard from too many people who canceled plans, unfortunately. In July, tourism was down more than 20 percent, but but that's uh, magnified when you look at the hotels that had 20% occupancy. You could see pictures that beaches are empty. It's really imperative. It's a psychological thing beyond the economic and a political statement. You have to think about how does the world look at it, how does the region look at it. If they see Israel isolated, if they see the tourism industry, it's an incentive to Hamas because they know that they're causing Israel tremendous economic difficulties. When all this talk about, you know, the boycotts and the sanctions, when people say to me, so what, do they matter? Yes, they matter. It really counts. And when you hear of anybody engaging it, get busy, get on the phones. When you see uh, an analyst that uh, Michael Scheuer said, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, I drop Israel tomorrow and making all these comments, respond to it right away. But one thing everybody can do, and that is make a commitment to visit Israel in the next six months. We're going to do a campaign in all the shuls in Rosh Hashanah where people look at a pledge card not to give money, but commit to go to Israel this year. It's really going to be important. And people, you know, make plans now for the winter. So if they don't do it, and if people put it off, and by the way, Christian tourism seems to have continued. <laughs> and the and many big groups were there during this uh, this period. And for Jews and many, I guess, it's uh, because they figure if we don't go now, we'll go later. 
I think it's very important for people to go now. This is still a safe place to go to. Uh, it's been, it was proven, thank God, the Iron Dome was so effective. Um, look at what's happening in the streets of London. Look what's happening in the streets of Paris. Look what happened in Berlin. Look what's happening even in our own country. People, it's imperative that we send the message of our solidarity. We ran ads today in the papers in Israel thanking the Chayolim who are coming back now and those still serving because they're protecting the Jewish nation as much as the Jewish state. Yeah. And we have to remember, this is our war. What does Hamas talk about in their charter? Destruction of Jews, not just Israel. The Hamas leader said, if you see a Jew, run over him, or a settler. Which means it tells you so much about the mentality that we're dealing with. You have the Muslim clerics in France and elsewhere making horrific statements, or the on Al Jazeera broadcast the Muslim guy, uh, imam from uh, Gaza on Friday using the most horrific languages, language um, and, and talking about our willingness, their willingness to sacrifice 2 million Palestinians, not 2,000. You know, the head of, former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, not former, the outgoing, I should say, uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, said something interesting, and this is during his watch. He said, since 2004, when we had 21 Islamic terrorist groups in 18 countries, today we have 41 Islamic terrorist groups in 24 countries. You look at ISIS and look at the power, how it mushroomed so quickly and how it's drawing recruits from all over the world, including the United States, including Europe. The danger that it poses, not just there, that they can recruit publicly in, in New Delhi and in, in London and elsewhere, that, that the, uh, their actions now spreading to other countries, that we know they're in Gaza, we know that they're in other countries, and they say that they're in the United States as well. So you know, we have to look at this in context that what Israel is fighting is the war of the West. And that's what the Prime Minister, I think, said this week, something to that effect. This is the war of the West. This is one war. Yeah. And the hypocrisy that we differentiate between the war against ISAS and the war against Hamas right. that's, is very evident. That's why the Wall Street Journal report hurts so much. Because you'd think that even the U.S., especially the U.S., would get it, that Israel's fighting the war for the West. And, and, and you take a group like ISIS where you can't even fight them with sanctions because they produce the money domestically. Now they control the oil fields, they have limited exportability, but they control the dam in Mosul, which produces the hydroelectricity, and all the income goes to them. And they told the workers there yesterday that if they don't uh, produce the electricity, they're not going to get paid. They don't have to work by rules. And also look at the massive number of women that have, and, and children, male and female, that have been kidnapped and hijacked and, and used for, I won't describe the purposes, but people can understand. Where is the outcry? Where Where is the indignation about uh, beheading people, carrying it out? Now they're, they've occupied large parts of Iraq, large parts of Syria. They're fighting in Lebanon. They're talking about expanding. They're drawing recruits from all over the world. Does anybody understand how serious this is and, and, and that Israel is the front line in this battle? That's why Saudi Arabia is backing them. That's why they call the, the guys on the front line, Jordan, because they understand that the outcome of this war. They want Israel to be much tougher, not softer on, on Hamas, and to do it and give them a devastating blow. Wow. That's something I hope was communicated to the U.N. Secretary General. Oh, you can, We had very clear messages, and he took extensive notes, and I spoke to him afterwards, and um, I think there will be some follow-up. But again, he doesn't control. Yeah, I understand. The, the, I understand. He doesn't control all this infrastructure.
infrastructure and the Correct. decisions, like like the appointment of the UN Commission. He right. said, "Look, I'm not. This is an independent agency." Understood. Yeah. He but, he turns to you and says, "Hey, I'm just the UN Secretary General. Come on, I understand that." But he still has <laughs> no. I know. The CEO. I understand. Um, you mentioned uh, the streets of other cities around the world, and there's so much to talk about in the Middle East. But let's let's just do this for a minute because there's so many concerned individuals. And I'm sure you're in touch with leadership in many European countries. First of all, in terms of the U.S., uh, the, the the horrific murder last Shabbos of Rabbi Raxin, at this point we have no idea what the circumstances were, correct? Yeah, the, the, they keep saying that it's a robbery. It looks awful, awfully simple to make that because they made that conclusion immediately, a robbery going wrong. Right. Well, there's no evidence to the contrary yet. But it is under investigation, and there has to be pressure. Look at what happened, and you have these demonstrations in Minnesota. We have to keep the pressure on the police. It's not a confrontational thing. It's not not. Uh, we certainly don't want to see violence and anything. But but we can't just let it be dismissed always as you know uh, w- without the kind of thorough investigation that will will determine. And the police are there. The police, the community, and police are working together. So hopefully we will find out. All right. Uh, now to Europe. I mean. Y- you know, we're in Israel, and you know that the bookends of our trip were nefesh benefesh. So obviously, there's a lot of sentiment on this trip to, you know, get people from around the world to move to Israel. Uh, you mentioned any European city or country, and the answer is, oh, you know, the, the Jews are finished there, and the Jews are finished there. Now, you're you're usually not prone to, you know, drastic, uh, you know, off-the-cuff statements like that. So if we would go, in fact, slowly through the European continent, how would you describe the situation for Jews at this point? I wouldn't go through it slowly. I'd get, go through it quickly and get out of there. But I think we have to look at this long term. And the demographic messages are clear, let alone the disruptions, the violence. And, and a government, let's say in France, that is responsive. And the prime minister who's married to a Jew is very sympathetic um, on the issue. And that yet the police reaction is certainly questionable. The fact that this is happening in increasing areas uh, when you have this a large minority, a large population of Muslims uh, whose children are increasingly radicalized, who respond in, in violent attacks, many more than are reported. And it's happening in, in Brussels or in London or in Berlin and in, in, in other places. You know, you have 200,000 Jews in Germany, you have 48 million Muslims. That's what they, they, they admit to. The, you have similar proportions in, in other countries. So the demographics alone... And the fact that these populations weren't integrated, the kids are increasingly radicalized. The fact that, I don't know, 800 Frenchmen are fighting in Syria now, coming back as, as jihadists, that, and hundreds from, from, uh, more from each of the countries, probably 300, 400 from England and Ireland, and a couple hundred, uh, 150 from Italy. All these guys are going to come back and pose a real danger. So I don't see the steps being taken. I don't think governments are, are indifferent, but you don't see the kind of outrage that should greet this, the fact that a synagogue could be under siege and takes 20 minutes for the police to get there, and if it weren't for their JDL and equivalent groups that are protecting the people, who knows what would have happened. So today, mid-August 2014, one of the key... American and world Jewish leaders is ready to say publicly to anybody living in Europe that it's time to get out. Well, as you know, I've said this for for years. I said that the situation can only go one way. You don't have to be a great mathematician when you look at the birth rates. And and as a Muslim leader said to me, we don't need atomic weapons. Our nuclear weapon is demographics, and and they recognize it. So it, I don't think that we should 
you know, call for a panicked uh, exodus. I don't think that, that, you know, people are doing it. Look at all the French who are buying houses in, in Israel. How many young people, by the way, non-Jews, are living Europe, going to Canada, Australia, anywhere else, including the United States, because of their fear of the thing. When you walk on the streets of Miami, you hear so much French right now. And um, uh, I think that, that that is going to be a growing trend. I know Sharansky called for the Jews of Europe to leave this week. I think you have to do it carefully. I think it has to be thoughtfully done, infrastructure in place to make sure that it's successful. Help them get to Israel rather than just wandering around the world again so they have to move later on. Um, but uh, I don't think panic is the response. I think there has to be greater efforts to organize, and we work closely with the security operations there because we learn for the security operation we have here to deal with, with threats to the Jewish community. And we see increasingly that the, the threats are universal. A similar message as ISIS. A, a similar message to American jury, or not as pronounced and as strong as the one you just gave to European well, jury. You don't have the same demographics, and, you, and the circumstances are different. And in each country, they're different. Right. I mean, there are places. I heard the president of the French Jewish community say it is uncomfortable to, to be a Jew in France today. Uh, two years ago, he debate when we had this annual debate. He, he was very insulted when I talked about the potential situations in France and, and other countries. So there is a change, and there are other places where leadership is, is saying, uh, I met people from a Scandinavian country now, and, and they said to me, listen, they've asked me to come to meet with their government leaders and others, but that we have no hope there. And that's, that's the problem. People are losing hope. They see the situation. Not everybody can move. You have to remember you have a, a poor populations. You have people with vested interests. You have other things that it's not easy. We all look from the outside and say, just leave. Right. Very hard when you're sitting there. Yep. You know, it's like when your, your neighborhood changes in America, people are reluctant to move, even if they see the, the situation, because you're there. You have a, your house. You have your home. You have your business. You have other things. It's not so easy, but people have to look forward, be forward-thinking about what the realities are. Uh, Erdogan wins the election, right, in Turkey? Yes, he stole the election. He oh, won the election. <laughs> Rumors have it that they, another humanitarian flotilla is going to be heading to Gaza soon. What have you heard about that? Uh, yes, not soon. So this could be just grandstanding. It could be, again, his way of trying to gain influence, as you know, that... Uh, they have tried all along to play a role. The Egyptians uh, kicked them out of uh, coming into the situation in, in Gaza. Uh, and, you know, the rest of the Arab world hates him and resents him, and the guy is increasingly nuts. Uh, his statements, even in the last week, comparing uh, the Israelis and by other officials uh, to, to Nazis, uh, it, it doesn't diminish whatsoever. And now that he is in an even more powerful position, he's essentially become a dictator in Turkey. Uh, I think this is uh, it's, it's not something to be dismissed. Turkey is a very important country. Trade between Turkey and Israel has continued unabated, continues, in fact, to grow. But we should not dismiss the statements that are made. And we've seen many coming, as I cited a couple from the Hamas leaders and Palestinian leaders, but... Others also should not dismiss when when a leader of Turkey compare Israel to the Nazis. It's a license because you know what you do to Nazis, and the the uh, uh, the role of Turkey now, the fact that we try to bring them into the negotiations with Qatar, they were blocked in that effort because these are the guys who supported Hamas. How do you bring them in 
you try to have them influence Hamas, maybe to, to join the ceasefire or whatever, but can't give them a prominent role. You don't reward somebody like, like uh, Erdogan. I apologize we didn't get to, uh, to Maliki and some other items, which we'll hopefully do next week. But finally, Malcolm, uh, the uh, EU ban, the uh, BDS uh, uh, efforts are supposed to uh, take effect September the 1st. Do you see an official European Union boycott of uh, items either from Israel or specifically from over the Green Line in the next, uh, in the next couple of weeks? Well, there is, there is already uh, some organized efforts of that kind. Uh, it's, uh, the governments, there are two parts uh, to this. One is the holding up of military equipment. Uh, Spain announced it, but it amounts to $6 million, so it's not much, and it's temporary. The same with Great Britain talked about uh, potentially limiting. They haven't actually implemented it, but I think Britain's total military sales to Israel is $17 million. But it is the symbolism of it. It's the message that it sends, that it legitimizes boycotts. It, it strengthens the, the extremists. Uh, who are going around boycotting Israeli products, which are well, settler products, they say, which really mean Israeli products, which also mean any kosher products. The fact that you had these riots and demonstrations at, uh, at kosher stores and looting of them uh, or destruction of them that the Prime Minister of France had to denounce, these are serious. And, and we uh, are working to see in America, first of all, to, to, to counter the boycott, which increasingly... Uh, is being countered. Uh, uh, they have not had great success in the United States, but that is not something we take for granted. Remember, the campuses weren't open. We haven't. They're just coming back now. We're going to see, I think, renewed activism there, and the the use of the BDS movement. We've seen unions and other groups joining in this. Don't dismiss it, even if the economic impact immediately might be limited. The longer term implication and the fact that this becomes an acceptable. Uh, expression of, of uh, disagreement with Israel or discontent. This is not the intent. The intent is to destroy the economy of Israel. The intent is to break relationships. It's much more sinister than it appears sometimes on the surface. And when the agriculture minister asks farmers to literally, you know, separate uh, on a list the materials they use from farms over the green line, isn't that somewhat, uh, you know, caving into this? And instead of just of course it is, and it's it's ridiculous to to believe. I mean, should should if they stop supplying it, they if you destroy the businesses, you put tens of thousands of Palestinians out of work. Number two, this is uh, I mean, humanitarian food. What what is what uh, food does not represent a threat. And third, that the distinction is an excuse because many of the things that they talked about were not used there. It's like you know, Soda Stream. You have one factory right. in Maladumim, so you have fifty other factories. They use it as as leverage and as a means of, of penetrating. The, the economic system and, the, and Israel's economic miracle in an attempt to weaken it. There you go. All right. We'll speak, please, God, next week. After all, what could happen in one week, huh, Malcolm? Yeah, nothing quite days. <laughs> Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thank you for joining us. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, Fridays, officially 740 Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. Friday morning broadcast in this era of Shabbos Parsha's Akiv, Rabbi Yudin coming up in a moment. Candle lighting at 733 on this era of Shabbos. 733, your official candle lighting time on this era of Shabbos. Want to wish a mazel tov to Shlomo Yehuda Sprecher. Shlomo Yehuda Sprecher of Brooklyn, New York. We're getting ready to celebrate with um, uh, Fagi and Mendel and the entire family this Shabbos. We say mazel tov on the big bar mitzvah. From all of us here at JM in the AM. Also want to give a special shout out to uh, Shimon Rosenberg, who I saw last night 
during a very delicious Thursday night encounter at Grill on Lee on Lee Avenue in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And I want to say hi to Shimon and to Ari Berkowitz and everybody who made it such a, a comfortable and wonderful visit to Williamsburg. We tried some incredible items last night. If you're ever on Grill on Lee, mention my name, and uh, I don't know what may happen. All I can tell you is that uh, service there is certainly with a smile. So I thank them very much. Uh, from all of us here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Ekev. Parshas Ekev, according to the Chinuch, contains eight mitzvos, six positive and two restrictions. And I'd like to focus this morning on one of the positive mitzvot in this parsha, namely the 430th mitzvah um, of the Chinuch, and that is the mitzvah of Birkas Hamazon, the Vore Hashem Achar Achilas Mazon the mitzvah to recite what is known as the benching or birkas hamazon. Now, interestingly, this mitzvah is unfortunately tied into the opening verse of the parsha. The parsha begins with Moshe proclaiming the Haya Ekev Tishmaun. Literally, Moshe is telling the people that if you observe, if you listen to the laws, then you will be blessed with blessings from on high. That is one explanation of the term ekev, a kind of condition. Another meaning for the term ekev is from, if you recall, the very name Yaakov. The Torah tells us, and why was he given the name Yaakov? Because in the beginning of Parshas Toldos, the Torah says that after the first son, twin, exited from his mother. After that, his brother emerged, the Yado Ochezes Ba'akev Esav. And his hand was grasping onto the heel of Esav. The word Akev is the heel, the very bottom of the foot. And the rabbis, therefore, with their great insight, understand an additional level to this word Ekev, as Rashi cites it from the Medrash Tanchuma. These are the mitzvos hakalos she'odam dosh ba'akevav. These are the mitzvos that people unfortunately step on with their heels, meaning that people do not give sufficient recognition to certain mitzvos. And as the Chosid Yavitz, 
who wrote a commentary on Avos, but in his Sefer, Chazdei Hashem, he points out that Yesh Mitzvos Sheyesh Lahem Mazel. There are certain mitzvos that have more mazel than others, such as mitzvah of Purim. And even, he says, the dietary laws that the people are so careful about. Be your chametz. People are so careful to move that refrigerator to get that Cheerio that might be under the refrigerator. So certain mitzvos have a greater degree of mazel, of good fortune, and others, ouch, do not have mazel, and he cites the mitzvah of Birkasa Mazon. So unfortunately, things haven't changed that much over the years. He was among those who were Migorshe Sforad. He was expelled from Spain in 1492 and already in his day he bemoaned the fact that people recited Birkasa Mazon but they did so very quickly they did so without concentration it was just forgive me lip service and I ask you to be very honest that especially Shabbos meals when number one we have to wash. And even if you're on a diet, you don't have to have potato kugel and certainly not a second piece of potato kugel. But you must wash, you must have challah bread for the Shabbos meals. So you have to recite Birkas HaMazon. The meal can take two hours or more. And it's lovely. And ask yourself, the Birkas HaMazon, how long does it take? And just as you're going to thank the host for the meal, or you'll thank your wife for the very special Shabbos meal that she provided, and you enjoyed the meal, ask yourself, did you enjoy the Birkas Hamazon? And it really is sad that this is the state that many people, unfortunately, go through the lip service of Birkas HaMazon and that do not get the benefit thereof and therefore I would like to share some very powerful and positive insights regarding this 430th mitzvah, the mitzvah of Birkas HaMazon to begin with, notes this fast MS in his commentary on the Gemara Brachos I'll ask you a question, and please discuss this at your Shabbos table. Why don't we recite a bracha before we say the Berkas HaMazon? Namely, Asher Kitshonu B'mitzvosah V'tzivanu Al-Berkas HaMazon. Now you're going to say to me, because, wait a second, when do we ever say a bracha on a recitation? And the answer to that is, of course we do. We say a bracha on the Hallel. V'sivanu l'kro es And according to many, the brachos that 
precede the Shema in both the morning and the evening, there are two opinions. While we don't use the text, Bitsivano al Kriya Shema, we certainly say the brachos of Yotzer Oros and Oheva Mo Yisrael. According to some, these are the brachos of mitzvah that precede the recitation of. Why don't we say the bracha before reciting the Shema? And his answer is one which is similar to that which we find at the very end of the Oroch HaShulchan, at the very end of Choshem Mishpat, where he says the following very important rule. And he says as follows, which mitzvos are, take a bracha to it? He says, those which are asher kitshanu b'mitzvosav, which is what the text of the bracha is, and he understands that the word kitshanu does not only mean that God has sanctified us with His commandments, but that He has differentiated us and made us different. So before we shake a lulav and blow a shofar and put on tefillin and light Shabbos candles, these are actions which are unique to the Jewish people. And therefore, on those mitzvos, we say a bracha. But honoring a parent and giving charity, which are not unique to the Jewish people, there is no bracha. So he says that Birkas Mazon is, after all, a logical commandment which applies to all people, and therefore there is no bracha before the recitation. It is a mitzvah sikhlis. It is a logical blessing. But now we have to ask ourselves, unfortunately, why? Why is it that people are somewhat negligent with Birkas Mazon. And after all, note the contrast that the same people who unfortunately might not be so careful with Birkas Mazon are more careful with their Shmona Esrei, with their prayer. Now Shmona Esrei is only according to most Durabanan. It's only Rabbinic. Where Birkas Mazon is specifically Deoraisa. It's one of the two and only two blessings that are biblical. Birkas Torah is one, and Birkas HaMazon is two. So one answer might be based upon the Gemara in Brachos, Lamid Beis, Amen Aleph, whereby the Gemara is explaining as to what might have caused the Jewish people to commit the sin of the golden calf. And the Gemara cites the Pasuk that we had at the beginning of Parshas Devarim, namely Dizahav, where Moshe says to God, it's your fault. It's the abundance of gold and silver that you gave them, which enabled them to make the golden calf. Similarly, the Gemara has the expression, Rav Shesha says, Hainu Amri Inshi, this is the well-known popular expression, Male Krese, when a person fills his stomach, Zane Bishi, it opens up the door towards arrogance and other kinds of wrongdoings. In other words, Unfortunately, that after a person has eaten, which is when we recite the Birkas HaMazon, unfortunately, at that point there, there is, now that he has been filled and his physical needs have been uh, met, unfortunately, there needs to be, at that point, some kind of a counterbalance. Because you'll bring the Chumash to the table and you'll see exactly the following. That 
in this week's parsha, Birkas Hamazon is chapter 8, verse 10. Immediately with verse 11, the Torah says, I'm warning you, lest you forget Hashem. In other words, that the eating can cause a person to forget God. How so? Go to Pasuk 14. Again, right after Birkas Hamazon, the Ram Levavecha, which means that your heart will become haughty and you will forget Hashem. And go to Pasuk 17. The Omarta Bilvavecha, and you will say in your heart, Kochi Vyotzem Yadi, You're going to say, My strength and the might of my hand has made all this possible. After all, I have the salary, I earned the money, I bought the food, I, 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 and we, t- we forget that it is He who has given it to us. Who is, he is the one who nourishes us. Bechein, bechesed uvarachamim. He is the one who is hazon es hakol, who literally nourishes all. And therefore, the v- verse that follows is verse 18, v'zocharta. You are to remember, es Hashem elokecha, ki hu anosim lochokoach lasos choyol. He is the one who gives you literally the ability to succeed. And the Targum Unkelis on that verse says, he's the one that gives you Eitzah, he gives you the advice, he gives you the idea and puts it in your head, to invest in this, to go into that business, so your success comes through Hashem. Now, listen carefully. The Mishnabrura, in his introduction to Birkas Hamazon, in chapter 185, teaches us the following. And this is very, very important. He says, first by quoting the Sefer HaChinuch, Whoever is careful regarding the recitation of Birkas Hamazon is assured that he will have his sustenance, his parnasa, throughout his life with honor and with dignity. Wow! Listen to the reward one gets if a person recites Birkas Hamazon. Listen carefully. Zahir, he's careful. What does careful mean? He'll tell you in a second. You should try to recite Birkas Hamazon from within a sitter, from within a bencher, and not by heart. Because osios makimos, by looking inside, you're going to focus. By looking inside, you're going to really concentrate on what the words mean. That we're going to thank Hashem for our nourishment. We're going to realize, wow, that Hashem nourishes us in living color. Take a look at the food, at the salad, and all the different foods that we are given to eat, and Hashem nourishes us literally in living color. And therefore, by saying it inside, we go from bracha number one, which was composed by Moshe, when the Mun came down, and it showed God's protecting the Jewish people and sustaining them in the desert. And then Yoshua, when he brought us into Eretz Yisrael, and we bring in Eretz Yisrael by realizing that through God's blessing Israel and sustaining Israel, He blesses us and sustains us. That is the verse at the end of the parsha. 
This is the land that Hashem is constantly involved in. Right before the Behoyo Im Shamoah, the second paragraph of the Shema, found in this week's parasha. And then we go to the third bracha, which is composed by David and Shlomo, regarding the Beis HaMikdash, showing God's, again, involvement in our midst. And finally, the fourth bracha of Hatov HaMetiv, which is that God is with us even in our darkest moments, namely when the dead of Betar were not buried, and for two and a half years a miracle occurred that they did not decompose, and finally they were given to burial, and we say thank you to Hashem. What is that doing in the Birkas Amazon? It shows that even in our challenged difficult times, Hashem is with us. There is so many treasures included in the Birkas Amazon. I urge one favor for yourself, and that is enjoy your meals, especially on Shabbos, and I give everybody a bracha that you should enjoy as well the Birkas Hamazon. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Akev, candlelighting at 7.33. Hope your summer's been wonderful, and I hope you have a trip to Israel scheduled for some time in uh, 5.775. If you heard uh, my conversation with Malcolm Holmline earlier, we're trying to encourage people to get to Israel during the year. And if, God forbid, you had to cancel a trip or a family simcha to Israel for whatever reason... We hope you'll uh, get trips of that magnitude back on the calendar at some point during the year. Please, please, please. J.M. and the A.M., mostly sunny. High temperature, 77. Looks like a great weekend in this area weather-wise. Hope you have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend wherever you are. Mazel Tov going out to Shlomo Yehuda Sprecher, getting ready to celebrate his big bar mitzvah in Brooklyn this Shabbos. Shlomo Yehuda Sprecher, Mazel Tov to you from all of us here at J.M. and the A.M. Twelve and a half minutes before the hour. Don't forget that an amazing day on our stream all day long. We have incredible Erev Shabbos selections. With a big thank you to our friends at Kedem who seem to know how to get everybody ready for Shabbos. Um, they are going to um, uh, present uh, hours and hours of great Erev Shabbos selections on our stream at jmnam.org. Make sure to be tuned in all the way until candlelighting time. If you have a smartphone, if you have an Android or a or an iPhone, Search NSN, Nahum Siegel Network. You can install the uh, the app and just listen all day long. Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Always a great Sunday morning program. Mayor Weingarten is here Monday morning. You know, Mayor will have plenty to tell you regarding what's uh, going on in Israel at this time. Mayor subs for me this Monday between 6 and 9 a.m., so make sure to be tuned in. If you missed any of our weekly update, there's an archive section at jmtheam.org, and there's also a uh, podcast available for the weekly update. Check out the homepage of jmtheam.org. Podcast information is in the news section on the homepage. You can check it out and enjoy and be informed. Oh, yes. More coming up. Here's Yaakov Shweki.
J.M. in the A.M. What a song. What a song. Yaakov Shweki, Kamu Baneha, off of the Kolot CD. Ready to wrap things up here in this amazing week that uh, began in the Holy Land and uh, closes out with us on this Erev Shabbos Parsha's Akev. Reminder, candle lighting time at 7.33 on this Erev Shabbos. And in fact, it's time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at J.M. in the A.M. Oh, it's time to say good 
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Oh, Anachni and Machem is right. Uh, just thinking back to one week ago, that amazing show from Stay Road. Thank you, everybody, for your comments regarding our trip to Israel and bringing the situation and the people of Israel closer to everybody here and around the world through these airwaves. It is much appreciated. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, t- uh, <laughs> tomorrow night, Saturday night, Seagull. Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis. On Monday morning, Mayor Weingarten sits in for me. I'm expected back here. On Tuesday at 6 a.m., make sure to keep it on our stream at jmtheam.org, all through the day and, of course, all through the weekend as well. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Until Tuesday for me, uh, Monday for Mayor, and uh, Sunday for Matis. Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.